Hey folks, Eric here. Before we get this episode started, I just wanted to let you know of a couple ways you can help the show out. Follow us on Twitter at TrekAboutShow, like us on Facebook by searching for TrekAbout on Facebook, and the best way to help the show out would be to review us on iTunes. Now let's get this show started. So, fifth season of TNG. We're ready for this. Are you ready for this? I am like so ready for this. This is... I don't know. I I am so. I feel like we've really motored through the series. Like it feels like, I don't it, know. It's I, been a year. I know, but it, I feel like we were on original series a lot longer. And maybe that's just because we have the movies and the animated series. But no. it seems like we're flying through this. Truck about power through the original series in less than a year. Yeah, all all together. Really? Animated series, movies, like everything. So I mean, it uh, part well, actually a little over a year. But. I think part of it is I am just in general enjoying Next Generation more. So yes, that, I, that's, I know that. That's probably part of it, and too. that is fine. Yeah, well, you will find a lot of people that will be well, enjoying and, the Next Generation more than the original series. And in terms of consistency, I mean, I think there are just more a higher percentage of good episodes in TNG than in original series. Yeah, I, I certainly think so. I would not disagree with that. I mean, you know, the original series certainly has yeah. its charms, and I like it a lot, uh, but it is very inconsistent. And, you know, whatever you want to say about The Next Generation, uh, The Next Generation is, is usually either consistently bad or consistently good. Yeah, so and, you that's know, okay. if, you know, I mean, I think about, like, original series, like, season two was probably, was the series at its peak, and almost every episode of season two was good. Um, I mean, you have that for three through five, for the most part. I would say so, yeah. I In TNG. So, I mean, there are going to be a higher percentage of good episodes. Well, it's funny because when I sat down to watch Redemption 2 and Darmok, mm-hmm. I, I looked at the list of episodes for the fifth season because I, I always like to, you know, because there's just so many episodes yeah. of this series that it's it's hard for me to place a lot of them and I sort of forget about minor ones. So I just wanted to, you know, I always take a, the opportunity to look at a list of upcoming episodes to see what the new season is going to be. And, uh, you know, I think it's my second favorite season of the show. Okay. Um, the third season is definitely my favorite just because it has, you know, Best of Both Worlds and Yesterday's Enterprise and all kinds of, you know, really good episodes that people forget about. Um, but the fourth season, I think, is is good. It's just, you know, it's got this saggy part towards the middle and the end of it, which I don't really like. Mm-hmm. And I think the first, uh, you know, the first indication of that is really sort of, I think, when we started talking about like Cupid and stuff like that. Uh, and the fifth season, you know, Redemption 2, I don't think is as good an episode of Best of Both Worlds Part 2, no, but and it's, it's not all as right. Good as, I didn't think it was as good as ep- an episode as Redemption 1. Well, yeah, and, and the thing about two-parters in Star Trek and I think two-parters in general is that, number one, we're not really used to seeing them anymore because that's just yeah. not how television is done, yeah. really. Uh, you know, unless you're watching, like, I don't know, procedurals on NBC or something. Um, but who watches those? Nobody. Uh, which is why NBC is going to go out of business in five years. Um, but it's it's just the, the, the two-parters in, in Star Trek, just generally the second part is less good than the first part. Well, I think what was interesting is it because Best of Both Worlds was almost a three-part episode. It was that two-part episode and then the coda that was family. Um, Redemption Part 2 is almost the coda to the first for, to the first redemption episode because most of the plot most of the exciting things that are happening are front-loaded into this and this is just kind of explaining a couple of things seeing some things through to the to the conclusion you know putting the cap on Worf's arc and all of that so i mean it does seem like a more muted episode it isn't as strong of a follow-up which is not to say that i didn't enjoy it or that 
I mean, a lot of fairly important things happen in this episode, or we learn a lot of fairly important things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing about Redemption 2 is really that it's not about the Klingons, which I think yeah. is interesting. You know, because if you look at the first part of this, that was all about the Klingons, Starfleet and our characters, aside from Worf and, and possibly Picard, really didn't have much of a part to play in it. And it was really, you know, the I think the, the capper to all of the sort of world building and Klingon politics and, you know, yeah. sort of Klingon uh, machinations and Romulans and stuff like that that was going on in the first four seasons of the show. And then you get to Redemption 2 and, you know, there are three or four weeks into the war. The war is not going very well for Gowron. Uh, but large parts of the episode are taken up with, you know, Picard getting this fleet together or Data and his little, you know, travails being a captain yeah. and things like that, which I like because it, you know, watching this, uh, you know, in, in, in two weeks, I, you know, I think that, that having another part of this episode that would have been just about the Klingons would have felt too much. I don't know what it felt like to watch it, you know, three months later, but yeah. that's my impression of it. Well, I mean, I remember, you know, I said watching the first episode, at the end it felt like kind of most of the plot was taken care of. I mean, the – in a way, that I, you know, I said I wasn't really sure where they would go with it, and in a way they don't really try and artificially shoehorn in a plot here because, you know, the Civil War is only so interesting and they don't really spend that much time on the intricacies of that in this episode because, yeah, they, they've done – they did that last time. Um, and here we have, again, they, there are some loose ends, there are some loose character bits. It's almost all character bits that we're dealing with this in this episode, just as in Family was almost all character bits. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I think, you know, the war, you're right, is not that interesting. I, yeah. I don't think we really need to have an episode or even a half a season about the Klingon Civil War no, and battles it, and things like that. You know, and you talk, you've touched upon this before, you know, if they made this episode, this series today— Season five would be the Klingon War arc. Yeah, and you know, I'm not going to say you couldn't do an interesting job of that. Certainly, I mean, somebody could, but I don't mind that we're not okay. Here's another Klingon Civil War episode. You know, that's pretty much done. We're going to see Klingons certainly through the rest of the series, but I doubt it will be as you know. You know what I mean? It's not going to be as all encompassing. This is something that we've been leading up to for a while. Yeah, it's definitely something that the show, you know, has been leading up to, uh, you know, starting all the way back in the first season and then going on with Worf's discommendation and Sins of the Father and, you know, yeah. all these things that we know about. And, you know, what I really like about it, again, you know, I touched on this last week, but it's sort of the economy of the storytelling, because one of the things that I'm really, you know, noticing on this rewatch of The Next Generation is, is you know, I'm really appreciating the fact that you get a different show every week. Yeah. And, you know, for all of the charms of serialized television, you don't get a different show every week. And so that's what I like about this. It's almost that sort of like very old fashioned episodic sort of like Twilight Zone-ish kind of stuff. They and can make one episode that's more of a mystery. They can make an episode that's just a sci-fi creature feature. They can episode that's just the characters sitting around and talking about the relationships for an episode. You know, they can do all of these it's, things. It's, and, yeah, it's unpredictable. And you you I think that's good. That's to its credit, because if you have. You know, a strong writing staff and a strong creative team that can pull that off week to week. And yeah, you know, 26 episodes, you're going to get a few dogs yeah. every season, as we know. But 
if you have a good staff, more often than not, you're going to hit. And, you know, I think back to shows like, you know, like Breaking Bad. I always go back to Breaking Bad, for example. And the one time that the show really did or the two times that the show really did sort of an off market episode, you know, I'm thinking of like The Fly, for instance, or I'm thinking about an episode from, I think, the third or fourth season where um, it was, you know, the A plot was about uh, uh, Hank's wife's kleptomania. And people really complained about that. And I loved those two episodes because they were... They stood out. Right. You're, that, I remember. That's, that's exactly why I mentioned them, because they stand out. Uh, you know. The episode that focuses on Gus's backstory in Mexico and all of that. That was a different. Now, I know a lot of people loved that episode because he was a fan favorite character. But that also was. I mean. But for the most part, it's just here's Walt and Jesse and they're doing adventures. Right. And that's what I like about The Next Generation is that it's able to give you something different every week without feeling like it's wasting time see that's interesting because you think about how in a lot of earlier shows in an episodic storytelling you you think of an episodic sitcom where they have the status quo and nothing really is going to change at the end of every episode they're all going to be in the same spot but i mean we're finding that that allows for a lot more flexibility in the types of stories that they tell because you can have a character's acting slightly different for the purposes of a certain story or a certain theme or you can focus on a very different character in order to tell that type of story where in a more serialized one you have to take everything into account and so i mean it's interesting how it almost comes off as more conservative then yeah i think that's true and i mean you know if you look at redemption 2 uh what you get in this episode i think the big thing of course is is sort of worse journey and going back to starfleet and you know of course that had to happen i mean he wasn't leaving the show and the way that he comes back is perhaps a little too pat because he did resign and i don't know maybe maybe picard didn't process the paperwork he knew he was going to come back yeah i mean if there's some if you know number one picard is going to pull his whatever strings he can and Picard has a billion strings he can pull so yeah I think I think know. Worf was was never out out yeah uh but you know it's funny because you know the end of the episode kind of ends on this down note and I'm not actually sure well, if Worf is back in it's like, interesting because the I mean the episodes it was a very that last scene is a very direct redo of the discommendation scene except in this scene rather than the Klingons rejecting him he's rejecting Klingon and I mean, it's it's yeah, I, I didn't compare the two scenes, but I mean, there's with the, them in the circle and all of that, like they're read. They're probably very closely shot the same way. I, w- I would not be surprised if they were, you know, not done that way specifically. And I mean, I liked that because that is the full I, I, Worf's arc this entire time has been, you know, is he Klingon? Is he human? You know, and he has this tension between these two. And, you know, the, you know, most of the people in the Federation think of him as Klingon. Most of the Klingons think he's a soft and, and a human. And he's trying to – he's always been figuring out what the, be- what the best of both worlds are, sure. really. What the, um, the values from both that he's able to grab. And because Worf does want to be a very – Worf is very much about self-improvement. He wants to be at the top of his game as a warrior. That's his kind yeah, of was- his – that's his that's his goal. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, Worf is the kind of person that wants to do the best at whatever he does. Yes. And so, you know, he needs to see what being a Klingon is. But at the end, he – we've all been saying he's kind of the book Klingon in a way. He sees, you know, Klingons value honor. They value, you know, family. They value these things. And he's living by these principles, and we've seen that on Klingon – you know, there is all this corruption. There is all this collusion with the Romulans. There are all these stratagems back and forth. Um, and 
the end of this episode is basically Worf's again, Worf is discommendating the Klingons in a way. Yeah. And he is accusing Klingons of having no honor. He's been asked to murder a child who is obviously this impetuous, uh, you know, stupid kid who's caught up in just something. He's a snot-nosed kid. Yeah, exactly. And the the values of the Klingons would say, well, he's, you know, he deserves to be executed, but Worf is rejecting that. Worf is taking a Federation value and v- viewing the Federation value as stronger in this. In this. And I don't know. I, I, th- I, th- I liked that because that, that – Finally, Worf is becoming an adult because he's making his own decisions. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think, you know, at the end of the episode, again, I think is ambiguous. And, and, and you know, it seems like Gowron is is taking back his discommendation. But he didn't kill the kid. So is he still discommendated? I don't know. But, you know, you know, on the one hand, you could say, well, the title of, of this episode, this two-parter is Redemption. So, of course, it has to be about Worf's redemption and back into the Klingon Empire. But, you know, now I'm realizing that you know, maybe there's a different read on that title. It's yeah. really about Worf redeeming himself for his own mm-hmm. sense of, of his own morality. And, you know, he doesn't get back into the Klingon Empire. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. But it doesn't matter anymore. It's not where he wants to be. Worf thought that his redemption, in a way, was the clearing of his father's and his family's name. Um, his father was falsely accused of collusion with the Romulans. The events of this episode have revealed that no it was actually Duras who was the traitor and Worf's family was innocent at the end of the first episode that is the redemption that Worf has been given he is a, he is fully a member of the Klingon Empire to the effect that he's in their he, he's on the, one of their starships but redemption part two makes it clear that there is a deeper redemption and that's not enough and that there is a personal honor that is at stake and that Worf is tested to lose that honor, and he does not at the end, I would say. Yeah, I think so. so. I think you're you're right. Yeah, the redemption of the title is not Worf's family, but it's Worf living, figuring out what values of Starfleet and the Klingon he needs to take on in order to live right. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's funny because I think that Worf takes the 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 moments or sort of the the flavor of Klingon society that will 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 help him you know I mean he he very clearly is the head of the family of of Moog yeah. I mean he, you know he, he bosses his brother around his brother just goes for it because yeah. he's a good Klingon and he understands that that's how things work Worf is okay with that you know but Worf is not okay with killing someone in cold blood for no reason because of the crimes of his family yeah um and which which is interesting because Worf has suffered for the crimes of his family quote unquote right. And- He's essentially he's saying this tradition was immoral, unethical, or it's foolish. And Something I, in there. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I think there is a degree to which you know I'm not sure how far down this road you know Star Trek really goes, or, or Ronald D. Moore was going when he wrote this episode, or sort of you know conceptualized Klingon culture for us. But you know I think back even to um, you know I talk about Deep, Deep Space Nine a little bit. Uh, you know, the Cardassians are a big part of that series. Yeah. And, you know, their sort of conception of justice is very different from the Federation's conception of justice. And so what you get is, again, with the Klingons, you know, it's sort of this idea that Worf is bridging the two. He's bridging Starfleet and, and, and the Klingon Empire um, in the sense that he's not imposing, you know, he's he's fully embracing, you know, the Federation ideals or Federation morality because 
you know, he is not trying to change the society from within. He is not saying, well, I think that it is immoral to kill someone for mm-hmm. the crimes of their ancestors. So nobody should do it. He's saying, I'm not going to yeah. do it. And you guys do whatever you want. You have the right to do whatever you want to run your own society the way you want. I just don't want to be a part of it anymore. And yeah. I think that's probably the more damning statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's interesting that while Klingon and Federation societies are incompatible at times, and we are seeing, you know, this episode makes it clear the degrees to which they conflict. It's easier to be a Klingon than the Federation than it is to be a Federation member uh, in the Klingon Empire, I think. This episode is making it clear. In other words, under Captain Picard, Worf can let the Klingon bits of himself flourish in order to do his job better. I mean, you know, we, we see this in the next episode, but, you know, we see time and time again, anytime there's a ship, well, let's destroy it. I'm Worf, you know, and Picard's like, well, you know, yeah, no, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, but, but he always says, you know, I appreciate your prudence, Mr. Worf. You know, he knows that Yeah, he never completely discourages Worf and he knows that that's his instincts and he knows, frankly, that's what he's paying a Klingon to be as, you know, security chief for, in a way. He needs somebody paranoid and you know who will take aggression when aggression is needed and so you know again Worf is allowed to Worf needs to temper his Klingonness with the Federation edge but he is allowed to use the a synthesis of the two of them I mean I think this is what in this episode Worf finally achieves the synthesis of his two halves yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I think, you know, whatever we see going forward from Worf, and, you know, I I don't think there's much more about this, at least in the series. Um, I think there might be an episode or two more, but that's about it. Uh, you know, it, it's it's more that I think Worf is is kind of fully matured and fully grown now. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and that's it. I mean, he's, he's ready to go back to Starfleet. He's ready to admit this, and he's ready to uh, live his life in a way that is consistent with what he has come to see as his morality. Well, again, that was the, and that was part of the point of Best of Both Worlds. That was Riker going through that. I mean, we, we, through the first three seasons, four seasons, we did wonder, you know, why is Riker number, you know, why isn't Riker captaining a spaceship? You know, he's had opportunities to, why isn't he taking them? You know, why is he still waiting? Is he stalling? After Best of Both Worlds, there was no question why Riker wants to stay on this ship with this captain. And it makes complete sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and the other thing, too, I mean, I want to say one other thing about the Klingon stuff in the episode before maybe we move on to something else, because there is, you know, a lot to talk about in this yeah. episode. Um, There's at least three major, the the Klingon arc, the Tasha Yar arc, the Data arc. Yeah. I mean, those are, I'd say, the three. And I'm sure you'll want to talk about the Data stuff. Um, Not as much as you would think. Really? Hmm, okay. Uh, but I think the last thing I want to say about the Klingon stuff is that, you know, Gowron is still sort of a cipher. We don't know that much about him. And I think from what we see in his, like, three appearances here so far is that he's a, he's a Klingon, which is very politically canny. Yeah. Uh, but he might be an opportunist. We don't know. And, you know, it's funny because I think that Gowron is an interesting embodiment of the idea that you fight for what you have and you fight not necessarily for what you would want to have. And so, you know, war fights for Gowron, not because he thinks Gowron is a great guy, but because Gowron is the rightful leader of the Klingon empire. Well, yeah, he is fighting for Klingon tradition and Klingon law and Klingon tradition and law have placed Gowron in the head and they may not like that. That may suck. Gowron may completely suck as a leader, but he is their leader, and 
that spirit is what is more important. We can't make an exception in this case because then that undermines the entirety of this. Yeah, because, I mean, think to that scene in sort of the middle of the episode where Worf and Gowron are in the, the council chambers and that, that, you know, guy goes up and he's like, hey, i got to fight you, you know. And Worf is like, dude, guys, like, we don't have time for this. You, you need to stop. Yeah. And they're just both really into it. And so it's kind of this idea that Worf is the adult in the room, even, where he's just kind of like, we have work to do, guys. Yeah. Can you stop this, please? But it's also interesting because... The entire scene, I mean, lasted about five minutes. And when Garon's was like, all right, now we could talk about the war. You know what I mean? He, the implication that I get from Garon's angle is like, look, Worf, you know, we can take a break for five minutes. This is something that's happening. You know, my leadership is being questioned. So I do need to address that challenge. Right. Um, I mean, certainly I, I from Garon's perspective, if he... Let's that challenge go. That's showing a weakness that he can't afford to show right now. And by killing that guy as he does, he kind of re-emphasizes his power in this situation. But again, there are these two conflicting views, and Worf is very much on the— Again, if you go on a Federation ship, any Federation captain would give this great speech about how we're in a time of civil war and we can't have even further divisions and, you know, a house divided against itself and all of that. I mean, that's the view that Worf is espousing here. It's not a Klingon view. And, you know, it's funny because maybe, the you know, I don't know if the turning point for Worf is this or not. But, you know, think to that scene where they're sort of in the party town. And, you know, I I, I like the idea that that both sides can go to the capital city in its neutral ground. Like, that makes any sense. But anyway, uh, that would just never work out in real life. (laughs) But, I mean, but then then you read about these stories about how... uh, you know, World War Two, Christmas, you know, and the Germans and the Americans all had like, I think it's 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 a obviously it's an extrapolation of that. But I mean, they, I guess, but it just seems very strange to me. It's like and, you know, but, uh, but it makes it clear that, you know, nothing is personal in a way. I mean, at which which isn't it, though, because I mean, it is and it isn't because well, think, the, the scene I'm specifically thinking about is, you know, they're in the party town and, you know, they've got their, their you know, arm wrestling knives and yeah. whatever. And that's all Klingon and great. And they're just fighting and, you know, whatever uh, that not a party I would like to go to. But, you know, it seems fun if you're a Klingon, um, you know, as soon as War's brother leaves. Two Duras henchmen just yeah. go over and, like, beat the shit out of Worf and kidnap him. And so it's like, you know, for Worf, does that really put in his mind, like, these people are just full of shit? They don't care about honor at all. I mean, I, I would agree on him. I mean, that definitely makes it clear that, you know, Duras's family is kind of breaking a custom in a way. I yeah. Mean, the, the impl- I mean, you know, you know, his brother says at one point, like, you know, look— we're enemies, yes. When we're on the battlefield, we are going to try our damnedest to kill each other. I mean, that's what we're going to do. But at the same time, like, I do respect him as a warrior. And, I mean, that, for Klingon, does trump a lot of things, you know? It doesn't really matter who you're fighting for. You fight well. Yeah. And you are going to, you know, I, I mean, this is a typical, you know, proud warrior race kind of cliche in a way, but... I don't know. I think that makes that that does color Klingon society in a way that, and I think the fact that it is an incomprehensible kind of tradition does kind of highlight that is part of Worf's character that he doesn't get it because he is Federation aligned, and in the Federation, again, you wouldn't just meet with your enemy, and you know it would be more complicated. If Picard were to meet with an enemy, he would be meeting with that enemy in order to you know, make a friendship with it so that they wouldn't be enemies. Um, 
I, 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 I mean, in a way, the Federation considers friendship and enemyship mutually exclusive. Klingon doesn't. Well, yeah, and it's, yeah, I think that's true. But I think also if you look at, you know, the Duras sisters especially and, and what they're sort of trying to do, um, you know, especially with, with that scene with Worf where one of them is trying to convince them to get married or whatever, and that's just weird. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a total misreading of Worf. I mean, he would never go for that at all. But, uh, you know, it's 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 funny to me because it really indicates that the Duras sisters, you know, are very smart and they're sort of two steps ahead. And all this idea about Klingon honor and Klingon tradition, um, you know, I would not put it past the Duras sisters to, you know, if they won the war. Well, because, you know, really they're fighting the war. I mean, let's not be, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that kid is not the, the brains behind the operation. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he gets installed as chancellor of the Klingon Empire. He's their puppet. You know, one of the yeah, exactly. You know, one of the Duras sisters is married to Worf. They they combine houses, and then suddenly, you know, women are on the council. I mean, you know, yeah. and so there's all these ideas that you know everyone here except for Worf is 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 not is using tradition would not not really um, respecting it. Whereas Worf is using tradition mm-hmm. and respecting it, and that ends up being his strength in a way. And it's why he turns his back on Klingon at the end because he. He, in a way, he has to reject Klingon in order to be a Klingon. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a powerful statement. Well, uh, let's move on to... to uh, do you want to talk about Sela? Do you want to talk about let's data? Let's just talk about the data stuff, because I... I the data plot was fine. It was, I like it. it, it, it no, it was, it was a... It was... It was exactly the arc you thought it would. He has a... You know, he, he has a first officer who's a little racist. He thinks he's going crazy. He comes through in the end, and the first officer respects him at the end because he's proven himself. I mean, that was pretty much the arc of. But that said, does he respect Data? I mean, he respects. I think he respects the. I think he respects the position, and I think he respects Data's acumen. But I don't and think, I think he necessarily the, respects Data. That's a first step. I think the end makes it clear that he he thinks of a. He thinks of an android as just some an automaton that's not going to be able to creatively come up with orders. He thinks of it as just, you know, a dumb machine. And he sees a a very real example of some extremely unorthodox tactics used to create a brilliant outcome. And so while if he doesn't quite respect data by the end, he's at least realized that He's at least surprised by Data in a way that makes him realize that he might have underestimated and might have misjudged in a way. It's a start, I see. No, I, 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 I see, agree. I, yeah. see, I see that character as making kind of the first step because anybody would be impressed by Data's actions there. I, I think that's true, you know, and I, I I think you're right that that you know there's not that much to really analyze in there. I think it's pretty straightforward. It's probably the most straightforward part of this episode. Mm-hmm. But what I what I think is more interesting about the data subplot is the implication that uh, there's some subconscious prejudice going on there on the part of Picard, right? Because Picard doesn't give him a captaincy of a ship until data asks for yeah. it. And I think Picard realizes that he did that incorrectly. Yeah. And I also think it's interesting to think about the fact that data has been in Starfleet for 25 plus years and he's only a Lieutenant commander. Yeah. He's not the first officer of a ship. He's never been given a, you know, a temporary captaincy. Whereas Riker has been out of the Academy for you know yeah. 12 years or something. And, and he's a full commander and, you know, so, you but know, I, mean, I, think- I, you know, I, it reminds me of, I mean, I, I read, 
you know, a corollary to the whole, you know, well, women make two thirds as much as men or in these positions or whatever. And someone did, I did do a, read a study where men are more likely to ask for raises or promotions. Women are not. And for the most part, you know, it, it would suggested that if more women were to ask for their, you know, for a raise, you know, at, at appropriate times and that the way to, you know, increase the salaries of women is to train them more in those kind of skills. Yeah. Um, so there is a degree to where, I mean, Riker is never going to be reticent to ask for what ex- exactly what he wants. So you have a feeling that Riker, as soon as he was in the academy, he was making the right connections and doing the right things. Data, I see, as just geeking out and doing whatever he's, you know, he's going to do. And even if, you know, again, Picard doesn't even, it doesn't even seem to occur to him that Data might want that. The second he asks for it, Picard says, no, yeah, you're right. You know, this this was a mistake on my part, you know, my mistake. And he immediately corrects it. So I think, yeah, I think I mean, this is what, what, what strikes me about this episode is Data's sense of his own dignity throughout this. He immediately realizes when he's not given a ship that, you know, this is an oversight and I I don't want to say deserve this because that's a very loaded word for me, but I can do this and I should be able to do this. Anybody else in my rank and my experience and my abilities would would get this so I can have this. And Well, I think there's I think there's a couple things there. I think it's that, you know, I think you're right that part of this is just ambition yeah. and that data perhaps does not have that much ambition you know but you know on the other hand i I think that that's kind of incorrect because of course data wanting to be given the captaincy of a ship in this fleet is ambition well and and so you know maybe it's that in the same way that uh data is told by everybody that he knows that he doesn't have emotions and so he doesn't have emotions Mm -hmm. uh it's just you know it's it's the 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 soft bigotry of low expectations to to borrow a phrase you know like it's just that idea that and you know that i know a conservative used that phrase and whatever but i think i like that phrase uh don't write its letters um (laughs) that i think it's a little bit of that where you know no one's really sure how to react to data and so Data takes his cues from them, and they yeah, take yeah, their yeah, cues yeah. from Data. So it's kind and of we also have to feedback look at, loop of low expectations in a way. I mean, this series has very made it clear that everything that we've seen actually happened. And so let's look at the events that Data's had over the past couple of years. He had that trial in um, Measure, in the of, measure a of a Man. He had a he had a girlfriend a couple of weeks ago. He had you know like a lot has happened to Data to convince him that he can be more and that people will respect him. And sure. so I think this is less. I mean, this is an opportunity where he sees a moment that he's. I I I, I think it's even possible at the beginning of the series that he wasn't ready. And I would not this, disagree with that. And at this point, I think he finally realizes, no, I got this. And this is a perfect this is a perfect moment that he sees and he's ready to take it. And so this is a moment in the evolution of data in a way. And I mean, I think it's very very important that the first officer basically says, "Look, I don't want to run for an work for an android." And Data says, "All right, considered but denied." You know? Yeah, I was just thinking about that line, because that yeah. that is a fuck you in a way. Yeah. That is basically he's forcing this guy to. I mean. We can see an er- a data of a couple seasons ago that would have capitulated to that. Yeah, no, I think that's right. At you know, this- and and I and I think also, you know, if you look at the way that data commands, I think that he has, you know, learned a lot about how to command from Picard. Yeah, you know, because Picard doesn't 
if someone questions Picard's orders, he, I mean, people don't do it, you no. know, because they just know that he's not going to stand also, for that. But they also, you know, and I think part of it is that they trust Picard. Picard has a lot of track record behind him. Right now, this is Data's first. I mean, I, it doesn't surprise me why the first officer gets so freaked out, frankly, at what Data is doing because all the information we know that Data's gonna go through this with flying colors. Yeah. You know, if we if I couldn't quite predict that he would single handedly save the day, I would. Uh, you know, it didn't shock me when he did. In right, um, right. Just because I know data from this past and I, you know, and this is an episode of television and that's obviously the point they're going with it. But that said, from the first officer's point of view, he sees somebody that he does not realize to, you know, that he did, has not realized to be capable of doing this, doing some decisions that he would not make and which are risking the safety of his crew. And I mean, I, I but at the same time, if he were to be on, you know, if Data were to command him on another mission, I think he would go with his orders, you know, without questioning. Because, all right, I have no idea where he is with this one, but he knows where he is. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think you have to look at, you know, I don't think that the first officer is ready to be the captain. Because no. I think what Data understands is that the mission comes first. And, yeah. you know, think about, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yeah. You know, yeah. Maybe some people are going to die on this ship if they don't, you know, if they do this. But if they don't do this, then yeah. the fleet fails and the Romulans get their supplies through and Galron loses the war. Yeah. So, you know, Data has his priorities in order. The first officer, frankly, does not. No. And I don't think that, you know, and obviously I don't think that the first officer would have questioned the orders as much or at all if data weren't an android of course and you know, because a, 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 a living breathing person you know deciding to do something that will put the lives of some of his crew in in jeopardy is viewed differently than data see one of the things actually this is making me realize something we haven't seen any other androids besides data and more have we um i mean not since the original series yeah so i wonder what an average android is to these people because data is so well there much... aren't any i mean that's the thing i mean yeah so i think that's i think it's interest i think this kind of puts remember data is the only android in starfleet and everyone was extremely surprised when lore was discovered so yeah the implication i don't think they've ever said it outright but the implication is that there are two androids in the galaxy i got the sense that there are androids but they're also but they're just slightly more advanced robots you know in a way no like so, but, but, you know, either way. So, I mean, this puts all of the people who don't necessarily understand the humanity of data into a different context because he is such a rare thing and he is so poorly understood by other people who don't know, frankly, who don't work with him every day. I right. Mean, it's it's obvious why this crew understands Data so much better than, you know, just a random scientist out of the academy who just read a couple papers on him. I think that's right, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think Data does a good job towards, uh, you know, sort of maybe uh, not exactly making the first officer happy about it, but at least he's on the road He's to... proven himself yeah. in this situation. And... You know, unfortunately, Data needs to prove himself as many times as he can. And that is one of those, I mean, that that is one of those, in a way, minority experience kind of things. One is always proving oneself. 
Yeah, and 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 on that note, minorities proving themselves. Let's move on to Sayla because, of course, oh my god, she is that as well. So here's that. This is what's fascinating to me in that the Sayla plot is completely incomprehensible to somebody who hasn't been following the series because. Who the fuck is Tasha Yar? That yesterday, if you haven't seen yesterday's Enterprise, it's complete. Her, her origin is completely. It, it, it's it's impl- it's it's explained, but without that episode, you don't have the context for it. I think, and I, again, I like when this show is doing a lot of fan things like that. I mean, they definitely do go out of their way to explain who she is. Yeah, um, you know, they have that scene with Guinan and, and and that sort of perfunctory. If you've seen yesterday's Enterprise, and yes. know who Tasha Yar is. You know, they have that scene with Picard and Sayla where Sayla basically outlines her history. Yeah, but at the same time, when it's the whole well, you sent her back there from the future and. We don't know what that means. You what know? I what I like about that though yeah. is that if you've seen that episode, it has some yeah. resonances. But if you haven't, you're as confused as Picard. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Because Picard doesn't actually know that, and Guinan only has the sense. I Vague, mean, she's, yeah, yeah. She seems to have a, an awareness that something else, but as we would a dream almost. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. That so, seems to be her. You know, if if you've seen these episodes, you have more information than everybody except for Sayla. Yeah. Sayla, in effect, for the fans, Sayla is your stand-in. If you're not a fan and this is, you know, your your first episode of Next Generation or you're not very familiar with the show, uh, Picard is your stand-in, which is kind of strange. Yeah. Because it's usually the opposite. Um, I don't like Sayla. I, I okay. think I think— uh, They don't do as much as with her as they could. Yeah, and they never do. Uh, Sayla is a soap opera, basically. That's and fair. It's just, I mean, you know, I, I think the character could have worked if it wasn't played by Denise Crosby. I, I think, you know, because the the ending of Redemption uh, is her stepping out of the shadows and everyone going, ah, it's Dasha Yar, but she's a Romulan. Yeah, you know, you know the whole sum, summer, you know, you're going on your news groups, alt.star Trek. What do you think that means? Right. And so that's obviously number one. That's they're they're trying to top or at least equal the end to best of both worlds where Picard is, you know, revealed to be yeah. a, a Locutus. Uh number two, I think, you know, casting ta- Denise Crosby as her own daughter is is sort of a soap opera thing to do, <laughs> and it just, it doesn't work with the reality of the show. I mean, you, you could see there has been a lot of, I mean, this episode is... The, I give her at, black hair, like, do something at else. At this point, the series is... Yesterday's Enterprise, I thought, was a wonderful apology for... The way that Tasha Yar died. I think that was a do-over that was saying, you know, we fucked that up. Let's give her an actual meaningful death that's going to be emotionally wrenching. And and they succeeded. This is, hey, we're really sorry about, you know, Skid of Evil. Like, we're going to make, you know, we're going to make Tasha Yar actually one of the most important characters in the series. Because, you know... She's now critical to this entire Klingon civil war. Let's- I actually disagree with that. I think that it makes Tashi Yar sacrificing yesterday's Enterprise sort of meaningless because they they sort of retcon it to, well, she went back in time to sacrifice herself nobly so we could apologize for Skin of Evil. But actually she survived and then was raped by a Romulan for four years and then they killed her. It's like, like what? No, no it's it's like they, they, they've put her, this poor character has gone through so many terrible things yeah and i just i don't like it i think it's bad like you know i i just i don't know what 
purpose Sayla has other than to give Denise Crosby work. Like it just seems, and it was her idea. So, you know, I, 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 it just seems to me like it was a, it was a, 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 a rare case of the producers of the show, not exercising their veto power. Um, I don't know why they listen to an actor thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's not like she ruins the episode. Let it's me, not like it's the worst thing ever. Let me ask you this. Does Sayla reappear? Uh, yes. Okay. Because I mean, they kind of leave her just, Oh, I'll get you next time card, you know, and just flying off. So, and that's what I, you know, that's the thing I don't like about the episode as well is that, you know, they do such a good job of wrapping up the wharf redemption plot line. They do such a good job of wrapping up the Klingon civil war. You know, it's very satisfying. You get to see Picard's plan come to fruition. You get to see data save the day. You know, you get to see Guinan acting all mysterious and all these things are cool and wonderful. But the Sayla stuff is just sort of there to, like, I mean, what do you do with it? It doesn't go anywhere. I could see it either way because, I mean, it could be if she becomes a recurring antagonist, then she doesn't, though. See, that that's the thing is, like, this is her introductory episode. Okay, you know, and then she's we're going to see her two or three more times and then she's going to have a really big, you know. Yeah. And I guess this is one of those one of those uh, instances where I know more than you. Yeah, She becomes the main Romulan antagonist for the rest of the series. Like that could be that could be something interesting. Okay, but but she doesn't. So it kind of is a wasted opportunity. They don't really know what to do with the Romulans. The Romulans are just kind of and they never know what to do. They shuffle there. They're, you know, just as planned to everything. And, you know, they're making shadowy moves, but they don't really I don't know what their agenda is for or what they're even doing. Yeah, the Romulans are... They're just grinching the who's, really. They're just there, you know, and they're always just kind of there, Um, which is kind of a shame. But, you know, know, especially in some of the later movies and and the the 2009 Star Trek movie, which I think was just an abomination um, at this point. Uh, what you know, what it does to the Romulans is just ridiculous, and so yeah, they just never really get the Romulans right. I think Deep Space Nine comes the furthest, which is not surprising because Deep Space Nine comes the yeah. furthest towards making everything in Star Trek wonderful and 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 and, and right. I'm really excited, um, even the Ferengi. So yeah, but I think on the whole, Redemption Two is you know a solid. It's seven. a solid seven. Yeah. Oh, there you Ooh. go. All right. Uh, well, let's move on to another episode that is also probably a solid seven, Darmok. I would give it a solid eight. I like Darmok a lot. It was a, as a general, you know, here's a weird alien race and let's get to know them episode. I liked it a lot. Yeah. And I like that you're coming at this episode having never seen it before because Darmok is one of those episodes of the show that is a classic. It's like yesterday's Enterprise, Measure yeah. of a Man. Like, But did it feel like that when you were watching it? Like, were you kind of like, oh, this is a good episode? Or were you like, wow, this is like one of the best episodes of the show I've seen? You know, it surprised me more just because I don't know what. So for some reason, I guess part of it has to do with the, you know, the specific image that they used on the Netflix thing. But I just had this horrible feeling it would be like Bem for some reason. I don't know why. Like I You might I, need to explain Bem for people that came into the Bem show. Bem is just the worst thing ever. Just imagine just somebody stabbing like needles into your eyes for like five hours. It's and an, that's like the first five minutes of Bem. It's an animated series episode. <sighs> that's what we'll say. It's, it's it's an abomination. Go back to Trek about I don't know forty two or something and listen to it. Fucking Bem. Uh, you know, like I, I just kind of was worried that it was going to be one of those episodes for a reason, and 
it ended up turning so, you know, it's a very, I don't know. This was just a nice episode in a lot of ways because this is one of those episodes that kind of, it's emblematic of a lot of what Star Trek is trying to do in that here's an alien race that we have nothing in common with, that we can't even communicate to. How do we, you know, and yet the goal of the Federation is to figure out how to make friends with this, uh, this, this species and how it happens. And it happens in a very tragic way. And I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. It's just a very sweet episode in a lot of ways. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think, you know, there's a lot to admire about Darmok and there's a lot to like about the episode. You know, one of, one of the things that I find interesting about it is, you know, I don't rewatch this episode a lot because it's, I like it, but it's not one of my favorites. Um, you know, is that every time I watch it, it's a little less interesting. Yeah, because uh, once you figure out what they're basically saying, that's half of the mystery of the episode. Yeah, and so it's not one that I think is really all that rewatchable. And I think especially, you know, the pacing of it is kind of off. And I'm not super interested in watching the adventures of the captain and Picard down on the planet. It's just kind of goofy. Um, you know, and the and the, the 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 beast thing or whatever is is poorly defined, and who the hell knows what it is, and and it's yeah. just kind of there for plot, plot mechanics, and you know that that's very uh, not fleshed out as well. I think. Yeah, it um, feels like they're not put into the most interest. It, it it they have this concept for this alien race, but they don't really have a story to put them in. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, and so we're kind of left with, all right, well, Picard is going to figure this out and Picard does figure it out. And, you know, when he beams back up to the ship and he suddenly, you know, is talking to the guy and the guy's like, oh, you get it, you know, and yeah. whatever, whatever the hell he's saying, uh, you know, with my eyes open or whatever. Um, you know, I think it, it's, it's affecting and it's very good and it works. Uh, I, I just wish that the actual meat of the story would have been a little more interesting. I, I Yeah, that that makes I, I can definitely see that. Yeah, again, because watching it, the watching it going in completely blind, you know, you have again, you have this. Obviously, the species wants to be friendly. You know, the, the captain at least he's. No, nah, I I never once thought that he was trying to be antagonistic towards Picard. Um, and yet, you know, but his motives and his you know his actions and his speech are incom- incomprehensible. And you, but you have. You know, Picard going against any effort to try and figure out what he means, and you have this moment of connection between these two people who otherwise don't think even remotely the same. Yeah, and I think it's, it's you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, if you look at the scenes on the planet, and Picard especially, like, Picard, I mean, it's not as though they're characterizing Picard as an idiot, and it's not as though they're characterizing Picard as someone who's who's not wily, but... You know, it almost seems like Picard is off or something this day because he doesn't really seem to get what's going on. And, you know, I don't know, like, it doesn't, like, from what they tell us at the beginning of the episode about the Temerians or the children of Tama, uh, it doesn't seem like this would be something, this would be an antagonistic thing, plan. You know, no. it doesn't seem like the captain would want to kill Picard. Uh, so I'm not sure why Picard would suddenly think that the captain wanted to fight him. Um, but that's a minor point. Like I said, yeah, on the ship with Worf going, well, it's a challenge. You know, you could see everybody get he- getting hepped up into a frenzy. Sure. Right. You know, but And then I also have to wonder, you know, what did the Temerians, wh- why is this their plan? Like, is this something they do a lot? Um, you know, do they not have relationships with any other race because they can't communicate with them? Um, you know, it, it just seems like a very artificial sort of construction. Like, 
someone would have figured out how to talk to them at this point. Yeah. You know? And 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 the fact of the matter is, I, I can't imagine that the Temerians would have thought that you know the federation or 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 the enterprise would have taken kindly to them kidnapping their captain yeah you know so so what exactly is their end game here what did they expect to happen again which which goes with the they just weren't put into a good plot you know it it, you you get the sense that the writer okay let's have a race that you know speaks in metaphors and he came up with the a bunch of metaphors for them to you know, speak in and watched arena and then just, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, figured, all right, I, Oh God, this is due tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. I think that's right. You know, and I, 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 all the stuff with the linguistic stuff, I think works brilliantly. Yeah. I think it works really well. You know, you start watching the episode and you're watching the, the, the other ship, you know, talk to each other and it's, it's incomprehensible gobbledygook. You don't know yeah. what the hell they're saying. I didn't realize. Yeah. It, it was, so, you know, for for a while, it doesn't even come off as English in a way because, you know, yeah. they, they, I mean, they are obviously using the and then you realize, OK, they're proper names and then there's English in between them, which is, right. you know, in in Star Trek, English is the universal, you know, language we're supposed to shorthand some translator stuff in there you know they're talking in their own language in the universal translator yes of course figured out how to translate at least their you know pronouns or whatever you know but, it's it's sci-fi that you know don't worry about that one yeah they figured it out and and you know when you get to the end of the episode of course and picard is talking to them the amazing thing is that you're understanding both of them yeah i mean as as it as the as the episode goes on you know once he figures out you know this uh What's his name with his arms outstretched? You know, he doesn't even have a name, which is interesting. The captain, no. Yeah. Oh, the captain. Yeah, I thought you were talking about the captain, but yeah, no. They. um, He does have a name at the very end. They mention him. Does he? Yeah. Um. He says like so and so and Picard at the planet. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Um. I think Picard says that, or no, no, no. They um, the Tamarian says it at the very end, but it's very quick. Yeah. Um. But yeah, uh, you know, whenever he points out the, you know, with his arms open, then you you realize, oh, he's that's you know here, take this, right, you know, right, and, you know, things like that, you know, I, and I liked that. I mean, I think the episode might have, for my personal taste, the episode explained the language a little too much, but at the same time, you want you need to get everybody in the audience understanding it, so that was kind of fine. Um, I think, I think, you know, neither one of us have a linguistics background. And so, you know, I'm not sure how edifying this conversation will be. But, you know, one of the uh, criticisms of this episode is always kind of that this kind of language just wouldn't develop naturally. Like, it wouldn't make any sense. And um, I'm not a linguist, you know, but but I kind of disagree with that because, you know, I don't think that, you know, for for my own understanding of of this episode... It's it's not that the language developed like this. It's that they had a language like us, um, but they were a very sort of like visual people. Mm. And eventually, you know, things just went where they were just talking in metaphor and the entire like meaning of the words was lost. You know, I mean, think about all the sort of like, you know, break a leg and like all this kind of stuff. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, I would almost have to imp. I get the sense that there's almost two languages. There's the language that the myths are written in, which would, let's call that looking like English. And then there's the spoken everyday language, which is all references to that. So, you know, it almost makes it seem like this, lang- you know, the, the language of the original, the original encoding of these, let's say they're sacred text or epics or whatever. You know, again, that's not a spoken language or it's not a language that's used. Or maybe that it's just 
I, I mean, I would say it's almost more akin to an alphabet and a language in a way. I mean, you would, you could I C O U L D S P E L L O U T E V E R Y T H I N G T H A T I A M S A Y A N I N G, but it would be very tedious and difficult, and it's not how people actually talk. I, you know, I, that's kind of the analogy that, as I was watching the episode, I almost came up with. You know, yeah, that's I, fa- I, the, you know, the the building blocks and the mythos are <clears throat> are closer to you know phonics or or an alphabet than. Well, they, I mean, they even say as much in the episode where where they're saying, "Well, we understand the grammar, but we don't know any yeah. of the of the of vocabulary." Yeah, um, which is fair. You know, and I think that, you know, but I, I kind of disagree with you a little bit. I think the implication is that this is how they talk. Yeah. And this is how they write. Like, they don't think in terms of words. They think in terms of images and they think in terms of phrases. And so they're not really thinking about the individual words as they're saying them. Uh, they're thinking about, you know, and they obviously have a conception of individual words, but it's more just the entire phrases. But then if you think about uh, when the captain and his first officer were debating, you know, they were shortening things and they were just kind of going Darmok, you know, like, and so there is a conception there of, of sort of contractions yeah. even, you know, where they're sort of yeah. like, well, when we're having a heated conversation and we're talking over each other, we're just going to say the names instead of the actual whole phrases. So there's even this kind of like, you know, uh, uh, you, you know, whether you say the whole phrase or whether you say a part of it may indicate something about your mental or emotional state. You know, there's all these kinds of rules that you can extrapolate from this yeah. episode, which I think makes it a really interesting sort of high concept science fiction yeah. uh, episode. And I mean, there are also, I mean, metaphors are on the table. So, I mean, obviously their speech is a metaphor for a different type, for a lack of communication. I mean, it doesn't really in a way matter that, you know, you can't actually visit their planet and have a conversation like that. That's not, that's obviously a, fic- it, it, it's obviously somebody created this language and it doesn't really need, it doesn't matter if it evolved naturally or if it was some guy, you know, the writer of the episode saying, here's a really cool concept for a language because it is, I mean, this is an episode that does work very allegorically. It, it, right. This is the, which I, which in a way, kind of adds to the power of the episode I found because this is again this is the starch this is the federation mission in a nutshell it's to find it's to seek out a strange culture that we don't know anything about and have nothing in common with and find out where the beginnings of that in common are. Yeah, I think that's true because, you know, it kind of like if you focus too much on the actual language and could this work and how does yeah. it work and all this kind of stuff, you miss the point of the episode, which is really sort of this allegory um, about understanding and about how we can come together to to appreciate each other's cultures. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that, I mean, the more I think about it, the more their plan kind of does work in that metaphorical sense because he is, the captain is recasting the two of them into the story of Darmok, just as, you know, Picard is recasting them into the Epic of Gilgamesh. Yeah. And, you know, they are just... So, you know, the, the the implication is that by going through the same thing, they become these two characters, which is how their language works. They are always identifying with the heroes of their mythos. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think... You know, if you look at the way that, you know, I think the Gilgamesh stuff is perfect where, yeah. you know, Picard is talking to the captain. And I think it's interesting because I think at one point uh, Troy may say that she's getting the sense that they don't have a conception of self or they don't have it. You know, it's like yeah, it's very yeah, yeah. That's weird. The... Like they're sort of more of a collectivist society. Um, not not to the degree of the board. Well, but... I would say less collectivist and more that they're. I, I... I mean, you, you you think about, you know, people in real life, you know, imagine themselves in the plots of movies or, you know, identify with fictional characters or whatever. Um, 
you know, you could be going through, you could be very decisive about something and say, man, I'm acting just like Captain Kirk right now. So for the yeah. Tamarians, I get the sense they're doing that all the time. Right, right. To the degree that, you know, again, this is just the language the now. But, you know, what I what I think is really um, is 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 kind of interesting about that is is that, you know, their plan might actually make sense to them yeah. because they don't necessarily it's not that they don't care about the captain, but he's more of a piece of a longstanding tradition. And so if he dies, yes, it's sad, but it doesn't they, necessarily stop them from doing anything. They just they seem to have a, a completely different conception of self than than we do. They almost recognize that they're in the episode where their captain dies and that that's a it, it ends a sense of tragic mythos and you know drama to their lives in a way and that you know it's it's a good thing that the captain maybe not a good thing no but but that's the way the story goes it's a yeah i think that's right and i also think it's a um you know it's it's a meaningful death because in effect this is what had to happen for the Temerians and and picard to be able to talk to each other Mm -hmm. and for this understanding to start to happen yeah Again, this is this is the foot in the door. This is, you know, the same with Data and the other captain. This is, you know, he says, we're not enemies now, you know. It may take a very long time before the Tamarians and the Federation, you know, consider themselves to be allies, given the difficulties of communication between the two, certainly. But that said, they've opened the door to, you know, a member of each group has become friends with the other, and more can happen, you know. Picard is going to give his notes to the Federation linguistics team who are going to begin to figure out how do we act, you know, more, how do we effectively and consistently communicate with them? And, you know, think good things are going to happen because Picard is, again, Picard is the, the symbol of the Federation just as much. Uh, what he's the representative of the Federation. And so, even though he can't make a fire, no, (laughs) well, you know, I mean, they, they're, they're usually busy hitting rocks with their phasers. Oh, that's true. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, whatever happens after this episode um, with the Temerians and the, and the Federation is that, you know, Picard's sort of statement at the end is true that, uh, you know, they, 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 we don't know if we made a friend, but at least we didn't make an enemy, you know? And, and I think it's, I don't know. It's kind of strange to me because, you know, Riker goes out of his way to be to be saving the captain and 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 um, he wants a peaceful solution to this. Right. And that's that's the Starfleet way. That's the Star Trek way. And Worf, of course, is all about shooting down the ship and, and I don't know, raping their corpses or whatever he wants well, to he's do. He's just been on Klingon. He's for... just, yeah, he's yeah. He's just been on the Klingon at home world for a few months. <laughs> he's so. had a really you know chaotic past couple of months in his life. Like he doesn't even know where the fuck he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, that. You know, what What really does save the day, though, is this moment of understanding and this moment of, you know, Picard is able to talk down the situation, which is just sort of like classic Star Trek. Oh, right? yeah. You know, yeah, you get your fights and you, you get your uh, phaser battles in space and stuff. But at the end of the day, what really saves it is this sort of quiet contemplation about, you know, our place in the galaxy, which is just completely nerdy. But it's 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 that one of those no. idealistic things that I think works so well when Star Trek pulls it off. This, you know, the Federation's goal is to make friends with as many people as it can it's not to conquer it's not to dominate but it's to create bridges and to create cultural exchange and there is always something that we can learn from another species and yeah that that's that's that in action this week um I think two other things that I want to mention about Darmok before we end the episode is number one this is the introduction of uh Leffler 
in engineering. I don't know if you mentioned if you noticed that. I didn't that. even notice. She's like a minor character, and she kind of has a. Oh, uh, was she? Was she the one on the? No, on the on the shuttle. Uh, no, she was in engineering. I um, didn't. It's okay. She's not that important right now. She never becomes very important, but she she really becomes important because they move her onto another ship in the novels. And okay. it's just kind of like the idea. She's not that, quite an O'Brien, but she is just a recurring. She she recurs a few times, and yeah. she actually has a big role in an upcoming episode. So okay. it's just kind of interesting to see how you know the show kind of like um, peppers through some characters sometimes that you may not notice at first, but they are there. I mean, I was thinking, uh, you know, again, in, in the terms of, cause we talk about O'Brien a lot and I do really like that. You know, it almost reminds me of, you know, the person that you go to the corner store every day and, you know, you buy your paper from them, you right. know, and you, you get that like, and the more you get like a very light friendship about that, you know, with them, you know, you know, about you chat about your family or whatever, but you don't actually know them, you know? Yeah. That's the relationship we have with O'Brien, you know? We know his wife a little bit, you know? We know some stuff he's up to. We know what his basic day is like, and we like him, but we're not friends with him. I think that, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, and then the other thing that mm-hmm. had its introduction in this episode is Picard's awesome new jacket. Oh, yeah. His suede jacket. I want one of those jackets. Which is just the ugliest thing in the world. yeah. But yeah, it is. That's... I couldn't even tell what color it was. I thought it was purple in one scene and then like blue in another and it just like red and later. I don't know. It's the same color. Yeah. No, it was like the way the lighting was. Are, cause... You, are you sure that you weren't perhaps uh, color lighting? I might probably have been. Okay. You should maybe check your apartment to see if there's some like a gas leak or something. There probably is. Yeah. Um, no, it's like it was in two different li- – he was wearing it in a couple different lightings, and, you know, that just shifted the color of it. Yeah, it's one of those weird jackets because, you know, um, it's made out of suede, some sort of suede material. I don't know if it really comes through in the SD version, but I you know, no. I have the Blu-ray so I can see everything, and it's wonderful, you know, uh, proper color corrected, you know, high-definition glory. Um, and it is this sort of, like, weird suede material mm-hmm. uh, with this sort of, like um, – it looks like fake leather on the top, like pleather, <laughs> uh, with these little, like um, – I don't know what you call them, but they're, like, rivulets or something. I, it's very it's a very strange jacket and I'm i don't know why they make it very honest with you i don't think i love the costume design on next generation just as a general rule that's fine you don't have to like it's it. i loved it in the original series and i love uh troy's outfits like anytime loxana troy is on i love it but for the most part, I'm not into the costumes. Well, if uh, you uh, don't like the costuming of Star Trek The Next Generation, perhaps you should check out the Tumblr, Fashion It So, which does exist. Okay. All right. Well, uh, next week, we are powering on through the fifth season. Okay. With Ensign Rowe and Silicon Avatar. Ensign Rowe is not a fish. Oh, Okay. And is silicon whatever um, about breast implants? Perhaps. Wow. We'll find out next week.